Another controversial call, a fourth straight defeat, and an outlook for the playoffs is growing more and more grim. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio. I am half of your co-hosting team. My name is Franco Penizo, and joining me on this podcast, the number one podcast on all things Inter-Miami, providing you all the news, analysis, opinions, and updates, and more, is none other than Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve is back in the building, everybody. Steve, how, <laughs> how, how are you? you? <laughs> Steve, how are you? Welcome back. It's been a while. Your last appearance on this podcast was August 25th, so it's been more than a month, over a month, that you've been on this podcast. First off, how are you? Welcome back. Where the heck have you been? All good. All good. Thank you, Franco. Good to be broadcasting again to all you guys. I've been on a sporting odyssey that started uh, with the US Open tennis because I I do cover other things other than soccer. I covered the US Open tennis uh, for British newspapers or the Sun newspaper. And we just so happened that we had a British winner, Emma Radonkanu, 18-year-old girl that won the U.S. Open, the first qualifier in history to uh, win the U.S. Open. And it was a no disrespect to Inter Miami or any soccer thing or whatever. It was the greatest sports story I have ever covered and probably ever will do. Uh, just, yeah, sensational. Whether or not tennis is your thing, the fact for an 18-year-old kid to uh, to come from pretty much nowhere to win the slam was just absolutely remarkable. It was a brilliant thing to cover. I then came back for a week and then I went off to cover the Ryder Cup golf in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, which again was pretty cool. Uh, golf is not my thing, uh, but I really enjoyed covering it. It's a great event. Uh, there's some celebs dotted around, so Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, uh, nice. but that was super cool. Yeah, so but nice to sort of now once that now that's finished. Uh, we're supposed to be in Vegas this week covering Tyson Fury, but that that didn't that fell through for a couple of reasons. So. Where else would I rather be on the 20-year anniversary of David Beckham <laughs> scoring his iconic free kick for England against Greece that sealed England's trip to the World Cup in 2002 than be on this podcast talking about into Miami's faltering season, unfortunately. Oh, how we've missed those random English references on this podcast over the it's past random, month and mate. change. It's, not random. it's one of the goals of this of ever. It's great it, it is a great goal. It is a great goal. Oh, I, nice, won't, nice. I will not deny that. I, I, that's one of, the, one of the better ones from David Beckham. But, Steve, we have quite a bit to talk about. Obviously, the last podcast you were on, on August 25th, the tone and the mood around the team was much different. Inter-Miami was winning games, was scoring goals. Rodolfo Pizarro had just made the all-star team. I was in L.A. on that podcast covering the all-star festivities but things have gone pretty downhill since then. So we'll recap, obviously, this past weekend's game against the Portland Timbers and the controversial call on that one. We will also preview the next game against the New York Red Bulls this coming weekend. We will also talk about our perceived outlooks on the playoff chances, and we'll also discuss some FIFA 22 ratings. I know it's your favorite thing to do, but we'll touch on you, that. We'll you t- will discuss that, not me. Thank <laughs> you. We'll touch on that as well as, of course, the Q&A session at the end of the pod. So, Steve, we're happy to have you back. So, let's get to it. Okay, Steve. So, Inter-Miami suffered a fourth straight defeat on Sunday afternoon or evening, depending on which time zone you want to look at it from. They lose away to the Portland Timbers 1-0 off of a goal from Jaroslaw Niesgoda in the 83rd minute off of a corner kick. Inter-Miami gets shut out for the 12th time this season. They did score shortly thereafter from Julian Carranza, but referee Robert Sabiga called the foul against Carranza controversially, and the goal was negated. So no equalizer for Inter-Miami, no points for Inter-Miami. After the game, a very upset a very frustrated Phil Neville lashed out at the refereeing in MLS. He said, well, let's listen to what he said, because he said quite a bit. Let's listen to this quote from Phil Neville on the officiating and on that call. I, th- I think we'll cut straight to the chase. I thought we were absolutely robbed uh, robbed from a poor refereeing decision. There's too many times I, s- I sit here and think, you know, I try and give the benefits of the doubt, but I don't know what these referees are doing during the week, I've got to say. Uh, clearly, clearly a goal, clearly a goal by Julian Carranza. Uh, 
like I say, I, th- I thought that the team for their efforts in the last two games, uh, I accepted the decision on Wednesday night, even though even though it could have gone the other way. I accepted it. Uh, I'm not accepting that today. I'm not accepting that because the efforts of the team. I'm not accepting that because this is a professional league that's one of the toughest in the league to win. And we've, and we've got we've got officials that are making such poor decisions like that. Uh, and, and ultimately, I've got to fight and stand up for, for my team and for my football club. And uh, ultimately... Ultimately, we were we were robbed of points tonight because of a poor referee decision that 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 isn't just a one-off. Isn't just a one-off. I'm seeing it time and time again. Uh, I'm frustrated, a little bit emotional. I'm sure. Uh, I've seen it three or four times, maybe five or six times, and and not once, not once did I did I think it was a foul. Uh, we, we spend probably millions of pounds on VR to check decisions like that, and I don't know what they're thinking that I've, I've not given the foul. So ultimately, my my thoughts on the game are totally clouded by what was probably the worst decision that we've had this season, and we've had some bad ones. And, I, and I've sat here and tried to defend referees, and, and I know Howard Webb really well, and I've got a lot of respect for Howard Webb, uh, but I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're doing with these officials at this moment in time in terms of uh, making poor decisions like that and then they're reviewing them and, and, and not overturning them. And, and like I say, I can only talk the truth uh, and, and that is my feeling coming out of this game. Okay, Steve, so we've heard Phil Neville's words obviously upset with the call, upset with the continued controversial decisions that have gone against Inter-Miami. I think some have gone in the team's favor as well, most notably maybe that one against Toronto FC where they didn't call a goal that looked like a goal against Inter-Miami and then they go on to win it late. But regardless, sticking in or focusing on this game, what did you think? Was it a foul or was it not a foul? It's just, it's one of those, isn't it? Where there, I think there certainly was contact. It is a contact sport. You know, you are allowed to jostle in the area and 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 you know try and get get your ground. It, it, it kind of like Carranza did did sort of push him, but you, you've seen them you've seen them given. I, I think it's one of those where you can understand kind of why it was given. It was still harsh, and if it had been given, then you say great. You know the the, the referee showing a little bit of common sense um, and just you know allowing players players to play. It was very very harsh. I think they'll look at it and say, well, he did place a hand on him. We pushed him. So in the letter of the law, it's a foul. But it was harsh. And you can understand why he was so upset. So I would say it's unfortunate more than harsh. That's just my opinion. I think it's just an unfortunate call that goes against Inter-Miami in this one. Or it's unfortunate for Inter-Miami because the call goes against them in this one. Because like you said, Carranza and Timber center back Dario Superich are both jostling for position. They're both trying to get to the space to attack the ball. Now, Carranza looks like he was in a more favorable position to start when Blaise Matuidi sends in the cross. But Zuperich tries to get in front of him, and he astutely, like you said, there's contact in the sport, but he astutely gets a hand on Carranza's chest. He pulls the jersey a little bit, not a very blatant jersey pull because his, his body's covering the, the his hand that pulls the jersey, but he gets a, a little handful there. And then Carranza, as a reaction, tries to separate himself from that contact, from that shirt pull, and obviously, I won't say he pushes him, but he he definitely outstretches his arms and makes contact, and that's what I imagine Robert Sabiga, the head referee, saw, and why he, in the instant moment, called a foul against Carranza, because... It's, this is a split-second decision. It's not something, you know, where they went to VAR and they, and they looked at it over and over and over again. And even if they had, it's not a clear and obvious error, which is why it didn't go to VAR, which is why it probably would not be overturned even if it had, because it's just not a clear and obvious error. What he decided on on the field was going to stick. If he had decided not to call a foul, it would have most likely stuck because it's not a clear and obvious error. That's the only way a call can be overturned on the field. So I just think it's a bit unfortunate for Inter Miami. They just were on the wrong end of a very tough call. I know people are upset with the refereeing, but this is a split instant decision. And again, I don't think you could see the hand of uh, Zuperich pull on Carranza's jersey. It's, again, it's not a very blatant jersey pull or jersey tug. That obviously is the initial infraction. It's what leads Carranza to having to outstretch his arms. But in the moment, in the split second, it's probably very, very tough to see. And of course, obviously, once you see the outstretched arms from Carranza before he has the ball, that's a, that's more obvious to the eye, and that's probably why he called it the way he did. So I, just unfortunate for Inter Miami there. Steve, that aside, 
Inter Miami, as I mentioned before, was shut out yet again. Held goalless for the 12th time this season. They've only scored once during this four-game losing streak, this four-game skid. Pretty rough time for the attack to go dry. What do you think of the overall performance, though, from Inter Miami against the Portland Timbers at Providence Park? I mean, look, it's not not an easy place to play. I know there there are reservations about the the, the playing surface there. I've physically actually been on that playing surface um, during a trip to Portland in 2019. It's not great. It's not grass, uh, which is shame. It's, it's a it's a great stadium. Uh, but that's yeah, not to... yeah. You could see you could see on a couple of instances, especially with Gonzalo Higuain, that the ball took weird bounces because the ball the ball the ball does take awkward bounces or, or not normal bounces on turf fields compared to grass fields. I've actually played on that field. In the MLS All-Star, I'm trying to remember what year yeah, it was, 2014 media game. I've actually played on that field, so I can speak yeah. to the the weird bounces, but continue, sorry. it's Yeah, it's, it's, it's not good. I know they had reservations about it. Portland, you know, doing well, fourth in the Western Conference right now, 48, 46 points. Uh, they hung in, didn't they? They just hung in. Uh, they, they had a few sort of chances. I think the first half, they probably sort of shaded it. Um, but I think there was a stat actually flying around in on the broadcast that, um, I don't think the, the Timbers have gone scoreless in about 17 or 18 games. So they've always fancied they were going to get the goal. The goal was just a bit soft, wasn't it? A sort of set play. But you needed Inter Miami to really have uh, have sealed the deal before then. And it's the same old, you know, we just keep, you know, well, you've, I'm sure you've kept going on about it in my absence. But yeah, the same. it's just the same problems. They just can't get enough goals. I think if, if they had to try and keep clean sheets constantly they could probably just about do that it's just having that bit of creativity and people you know putting their hand up you know Lewis Morgan it just hasn't happened for him this season has it you know and then unfortunately just the irony of ironies that Carranza who's had a had a rough time never really looks like scoring came on scored then it was it was disallowed so it's you know it's just a continuation of of all the other problems that have dogged the team the whole the whole season really and it will probably continue into the into the off season, where you know I'm sure we'll get to that at some point, but they're going to have to have some major, uh, some major change, which again would be very difficult considering everything else that's gone on at the club. Well, I forgot to give the lineup, so let's give the lineup that played in this game. Nick Marsman started in goal. Lewis Morgan and Breck Shea were the two wingbacks on the right and left, respectively. Your center back trio from right to left were Lander Gonzalez Pires, Nicolas Figal, and Christian McCoon. The midfield line was comprised of Rodolfo Pizarro, Gregory, and Jay Chapman. And then up top were Gonzalo Higuain and Robbie Robinson. Now, diving into that front two, that front line, this is the second consecutive game that Phil Neville had Robbie Robinson play as more of a number nine and Higuain dropping a bit more, as we've seen him do, even when he's played up top as the lone striker. But Iguain dropped and showed that penchant for picking up the ball and trying to create and play make. On the initial viewing, I didn't like what I saw from him. When I watched the game back, as I do every single Inter-Miami match, I thought he did better than, than I thought the initial time. And I think he helped create some things. He wasn't obviously super dangerous in the final third, but he did play that one ball to Breck Shea in the second half that led to a, a decent shot from Shea, and he also got on the end of a Shea low ball at the top of the penalty area and forced a shot from Steve Clark. So, thought Higuain did okay. Robbie Robinson, on the other hand, for me, just not cutting it as a number nine. Look, I get the idea from Phil Neville to want to have a striker that can stretch the defense with his speed and with his wheels, and that can also allow Gonzalo Higuain to occupy deeper positions because he does so anyway even when he's playing the number nine but I don't think the number nine suits Robbie Robinson's strengths I don't think he has the technical qualities and I don't think he has enough ability to play that position because he doesn't have a left foot so he's very limited in the movements and in the way he can go about attacking I don't think it's any secret that his best that his best games this year have come out on the wing, where he has more space to uh, to exploit, more room to operate in. He can take people on one on one with his explosiveness and his and his quickness and his aggressiveness up top, where he's having to be marked by normally two physical center backs. I just don't think it's working. He has had a combined two shots over the last two games playing up top as that number nine. Neither have been on target. 
there was one play that comes to my mind very, very clearly in the second half where he was in the box and he's coming from left to right and the ball comes to him, but it comes to him at like mid-level range. And instead of bringing it down with his thigh or his chest, he jumps up in the air and does a very awkward right-footed control and the ball bounces away from him and ends up near the sideline and he, he gets to it, but then he tries a back heel and it just goes out of bounds. I just don't think he has the technical qualities to be a striker. Steve, what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on Robbie Robinson at the nine? Do you think Inter Miami should revert to having Robinson out on the wing and Gonzalo up top, given that obviously that plays to more of their strengths? Because I'm a full belief that, listen, you're gonna you're going to get more out of Robbie Robinson if you play him out on the wing. And I think even with Gonzalo Higuain's penchant for dropping back and maybe not always being in the box to finish things off, I think if he's the the spearhead of the attack, I think that gives you your best finisher in the box more often than it won't if you don't have him there. And I know he doesn't always make those runs. I know he, there's there's questions as to his effort in terms of crashing the box, but you know, that's that's what that's his strongest attribute. He's a finisher. He's the most lethal scorer on this team, and I think having him in more advanced positions would help the attack. Again, noting that he does drop back. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's just trying. He's trying different different things. He he was pretty effective, wasn't he? Before my uh, my disappearing act, he he was doing quite well, wasn't he? On the on the left, but I think it just all boils down to just a lack of a lack of options. What other options has, has he got? Um, you know, in attack, really, it's just uh, it's pretty desperate, really. If 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 Gonzalo Higuain is not scoring and then you know the goals have sort of dried up a bit for, for Lewis Morgan then you know where else is it going to come from you know I think this has definitely been a breakthrough season for Robbie Robinson you know he's international honours although very very short-lived but that will come again um, he's, he looks like a, a decent prospect but yeah like you say maybe not it's a, it's a position I guess he has to learn he was a goal scorer wasn't he at university in Clemson but I guess this is a obviously it's, it's a massive huge different step up but I think he's just trying different options, and they're just, you know, they're they're not they're not happening. Carranza would be the one, I guess, with the like for like in terms of being a, a, you know, a number nine. But it just it hasn't worked for him at all, has it really? So uh, I think you're just throwing different options, just trying to make things happen, and uh, sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. And maybe in this particular hap- uh, instance, it just hasn't. Look, if they want to keep this look where Gonzalo Higuain drops deep, then I think maybe playing Julian Carranza, who is not as fast but is more of a number nine, maybe that works. If that's what Phil Neville wants to continue to do. If Phil Neville wants to go back to the three-man front line with, with two wingers and a, and a number nine up top, well then, obviously you can put in Rodolfo Pizarro on one wing and take him out of the more withdrawn position as the eight, which I thought he did well in against Atlanta United, not so much against the Portland Timbers. You also have Indiana Vasilev as an option that can play on the wing. So I think they need to move away from this idea of Robbie Robinson as the nine because it's just not going to work, in my opinion, with Robinson and the qualities he brings. I think if you want, put him back out on the wing and switch back to the to the 5-2-3. Or if you want to stick with this 5-3-2, keep Pizarro in that midfield and bring on Julian Carranza and see how he does because I just don't think Robbie Robinson will cut it as the number nine. Steve, switching gears, there were... Or there was a trio of apparent injuries for Inter Miami, which is not good news because the team is already dangerously thin. And these were the three players that suffered knocks. First, it was Nicolas Figal with an apparent non-contact injury. Ten minutes or so into the second half, he called for his sub. He was replaced by Kelvin Leardam. After that, later in the game, Breck Shea seems to suffer some some sort of knock. I don't know if it was a very serious one or if he could have continued on, but nonetheless, he's replaced by Kieran Gibbs. And then at the end, or towards the end, Gregory, the captain, seems to suffer a head collision with Leandro gonzalez Pires. The cameras didn't really catch it. You just saw both Leandro gonzalez Pires and Gregory on the ground. And Gregory was holding his head for a bit. He got checked out by the medical team. And he was subbed out by the emergency substitution that MLS permits for potential head injuries. He was he was the sixth substitution, and Indiana Vasilev came on for him. So those three injuries, we'll get an update from Phil Neville, I imagine, on Thursday when we speak to him at practice. But those three injuries obviously 
hurt Inter Miami as well, and they could hurt them going forward. We'll touch on that maybe a little bit more in the second segment when we preview this weekend's upcoming game. But obviously just a bit more of misfortune for the team. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is what happens, isn't it? When you have a pretty thin thin squad, especially when you get towards the end of a end of a season, you know, the games are, are running out now and they've um, you know, bodies bodies are Bodies are fragile. I mean, we look, we go back to you know the start, the start of the season. Remember when they didn't play many matches at all? Was it three or four matches that they played? Um, they had all those games called off, all this kind of stuff. It was always going to come home to roost at, at, at one point. The traveling and everything else has gone on, but you know that's why you have squads and, and rosters and, and that and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, they're just they're just they're struggling, and this, this, as we say, the same old problems keep cropping up, and they just don't. They don't have like for likes in many of the different positions, do they? You know, it's kind of um, they're just trying to fit sometimes square pegs and round holes, and it, it's 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 difficult. And I think that's why they need to have this. You know, they they want to try and have a revamp. I think in the in the close season, but again, it's going to be it's going to be very difficult. You know, there's a, there's a lot of problems they have to deal with. So you said there's very few games left. There are a total of seven games remaining for Inter Miami in the 2021 season. They are eight points shy of the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference, which is currently held by CF Montreal. I'm not sure, and I usually have a pretty good memory, but I'm not sure if you were on the pod where we said we were going to sacar las calculadoras, which translates to take out the calculators and do the math. I don't think you were. I don't believe you were, but I could be mistaken. No, I've never heard that phrase before. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a phrase in Spanish that's said in, in soccer and football, when you know it comes down to doing the math to see how many points you need, how many points opponents need, because right now Inter Miami's destiny is not in its own hands, right? They need to make up ground by winning games, and they need other teams to drop points. So that's why I will say it's time once again to sacar las calculadoras, take out the calculators, and do the math, because Phil Neville himself, after the game, said, look, we're probably going to have to win five or six of the remaining games in order to make the postseason. That's a pretty tall task. That's a pretty tall task, Steve. I don't know. You know, Obviously, this team has gone on a run, and that's what Phil Neville pointed to, is that they've gone on a run like that before this season. But for me, and you know, people can, that listen, are listening to this can call me negative, or they can call me pessimistic, whatever they want. But for me, from the outside, given the state of the team and what I'm seeing on the field and how things are trending... I do not think Inter Miami makes the playoffs. I think the season is all but over. I think the season's practically done and dusted. I don't know how you feel, but again, we could you can do the math and calculate and see what how many points they would need because look, they need right now they're eight points shy of that playoff spot. This is why I said you know whip out your calculator. It's obviously said a little bit in jest, but they're eight points shy, so they need at least three wins right there just to make up that ground to pass forty points. So that's three of their remaining seven. Then you have to imagine other teams are going to continue to win and pick up points. They're not all just going to drop just perfectly over the next few weeks. So then that's where you're going to need probably at least five wins. At least five wins. So that's 15 points out of the last 21. I just don't see Inter Miami doing that. With their inability to score, with how thin they are uh, all over the roster, and with how, how things have just been trending for them, I just don't see it happening. What are your thoughts on... There are chances of making the playoffs. Do you think the season is practically over, or do you think that there is still a realistic chance that they can make the playoffs? I mean, not realistic, is it? Not when you take into consideration the the form they're in. You know, they're in a good run, and that this this run of four games is is not great. Confidence will, will be down. They're still in there with a chance. I mean, you know, New York, the Red Bulls are, are above two points above them. They have got a game in hand over a couple of couple of teams above them, but. It's be a very, very tall order. And unfortunately, when you look at the stats, having only won nine games from 27, it's just it's just not it's not good enough. And, that, and they know that. Only 25 goals, lost 13 games. I mean, you know, look at Cincinnati, four wins, Toronto six, Chicago seven, you know, Columbus, New York are nine, Atlanta ten. You know, it's a shame because it's not as if, obviously, New England are flying at the top, but... The, the rest of the teams are kind of ensconced in, in amongst it. You know, even DC in, in fifth place have won 12 games. So 
you know, it's not they're not a million miles away from from being fifth. It's just these 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 bad runs they keep finding themselves in are gonna are gonna cost them dear. Unfortunately, yeah, I think it's gonna be a very very tall order to get in the playoffs, and unfortunately that's gonna be seen as a you know as as a failure. I, I guess you know mitigating circumstances for sure, um, but. Yeah, Phil Neville will hold his hand up and just sort of said, "Yeah, it just hasn't been, it hasn't, it hasn't been good enough." Um, and I'm, but I'm sure we can get into the, the how they move forward at another time. Absolutely. Now, really quickly, because you did touch on this, they have 25 goals on the season. That is the lowest from any team in Major League Soccer. That's another reason why I just don't see this team turning this around and making this late miracle push for the playoffs. Sports are unpredictable. Wild things happen. More unforeseen things have happened. Just obviously mathematically still alive. I just don't see them see them doing it. If they do, hey, I'll lift. I'll raise my hand and say, Inter Miami surprised me and they got the job done. They 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 kept going. They kept believing and they got in. But I just don't see it see it happening, especially with those attacking issues. Now, last thing I want to ask, ask you: a quick little one, una chiquita. Do you think Inter Miami needs to move away from the five-man backline at this point? Given that they need points, given that they need wins, do you think it's time for them to throw more numbers forward and live with those results? Because I do. I think if they're going to try to really make a run at this or try to get out of this situation, then you've got to go for it. You've got to go for it. If you lose games, if you lose by a wide margin, well, all right, you probably weren't going to make the playoffs anyway, so you have to try to go for it. I don't know if just playing defensively and trying to keep a zero at the back and see if you can pluck one at the other end. That clearly hasn't been a formula that's consistently worked for them. It did at times, but now they're in must-win territory, essentially. So I, I think they need to put more numbers forward. You know, you touched on Lewis Morgan earlier in the pod. Obviously, he hasn't had a great year overall, statistically, but you also have to take into consideration, at least I think so, that he's playing right wing back. And obviously that limits how many actions he can have offensively because he has much more defensive responsibilities to now take care of and to have to focus on. So I think maybe switching the formation is a, is a possibility or I, I think that should at least be considered for a team that needs goals and that needs wins. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. They can, they're going to have to go for it, but you have to balance it out whereas you can't just go kamikaze gung-ho and just throw yourself forward from the from the first first whistle. And, <laughs> I'm not you know, saying play with five strikers or anything. I'm you know, and I do think maybe yeah. going back to the four man back line, I know that hasn't been great defensively for them for much of the year, but I think at this point you have to try something else to try to, to try to get goals and get and get wins. Absolutely, yeah. They'll I mean look, they they know they'll be looking they know the tables, they know this, the the predicament they, they find themselves in. Um I just I just don't know if he has the options or the confidence in in the options that he has to uh, you know for them to pull it out you know Bizarro, you you probably know better than me in the last sort of four or five weeks is, is, did he build on that kind of little upturn and form not really did he um, you know it's it's been it's been difficult those players those creative players just have, have done it in little fits and spurts we've had little moments and times where it's like yeah this is good this is working and then it just Damn, it just, you know, it, it, stopped, it stopped working again. And that, that's been their problem the whole season. Well, we'll see how Inter Miami approaches things. We're going to preview the next game against the New York Red Bulls. But we're going to take a quick break first. So, Steve, we'll get into that after this. The gap is becoming uh, big and, and the clock is ticking. And, and obviously you can't beat the clock. Uh, and ultimately there, there, is, uh, there is a time when, when ultimately we're probably going to have to win Seven games left. Is it seven games left? Yeah, seven games left. We're going to have to probably win five, six out of our last seven games. We've done that. We've, we've been on a run like that, but that's the run that we need to go on. Uh, our game in hand is next week in New York Red Bulls, which is a real tough game. Okay, Primo. So we will preview this Saturday's game against the New York Red Bulls. It's a makeup game from the match that was rained out or because of the weather delay, the lightning. A few months ago, a couple months ago, it was postponed. So it's a makeup game during the international break. Not necessarily the best thing for Inter Miami because they have lost one of their key players, one of their first choice starters, and that's Christian McCoon, who is with Venezuela's national team. So now there's a big question as to how you replace that left center back, given that they're 
is no other left center back in the roster that's healthy and available. So that's a challenge for Phil Neville in this one. As we mentioned before, there's also a few possible absences with Gregory Brecce and Nicolas Figal all question marks going into the weekend as of Wednesday. Things are not looking good for Inter Miami. The last time they played the New York Red Bulls was at home at Drive Pink Stadium, and they were beaten 4-0 in a very one-sided affair in which they, they Inter Miami, barely got out of its own half. A very ugly match, one of the worst of the season. What is your outlook on this weekend's game at Red Bull Arena for Inter Miami? They might be missing some players. They're up against it. The Red Bulls will know that they their formula for success against Inter Miami, so... What's your outlook on this one? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess the one problem Miami have got is the fact that you know the Red Bulls currently sit what two two spaces above them in ninth. They're also eyeing, you know still eyeing the playoffs and, and desperately need wins. They're six points off Montreal, so that that won't that won't help them certainly. And, and the last time they they played, they really did a number on them, didn't they? You know, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't pretty. They seem to have a sort of better team ethos you know about them and, and certainly you know going away we've both been to that that place um you know it can be it's it could be quite a difficult place to play although the home side fans don't wouldn't say it, they make it a, a cauldron but um you know it can it, they, they certainly get behind the team so it's not it's not it's not going to be easy i mean look, but they, they they've they've got the players i think that they can they, they can do it i mean you know you're not talking about a a, you know, a New England side here are racing away from it at the top. This is a, a team who are have been struggling pretty much like Inter Miami. Same, num- same number of wins, a couple more ties, two less defeats. Struggling for goals, really. Only 33 goals. So, it's, you know, they're not playing Brazil from 1970. But, um, you know, I just it's a confidence thing, isn't it? It's, and like you say, that big decisions have to be made about the shape and, um, and the sort of approach. But, uh, you know, going on the road to a place like this is never easy, is it? So, I think that Phil Neville, well, I think he should change the formation and try to go for it a bit more. I think he'll stick with that five-man back line. Now, again, we're recording this on Wednesday, so we have not spoken to him this week yet for media availability. So, we don't have an update on all the players. This is just me from the outside speculating. This is not information. It's just my sensation, my supposition. I think Nicolas Figal is probably going to be out for this one. Gregory, I would also probably lean towards yes, because if you know he had a concussion scare, I don't know if he gets out of the concussion protocol that the league mandates in less than a week. It's possible, but I don't know if I see that happening. I would think out of the three, Brexche is the most likely to to be ready, but again, that's just me on from the outside talking here. If they stick with the five-man back line, I think he'll go with Blaise Matuidi as the left center back, Kelvin Leardam as the sweeper, and Leandro Gonzalez-Pires as the right center back. Now, if Inter-Miami doesn't have 16 field players, they will be able to tap into their Fort Lauderdale CF team under the MLS rule that is extreme hardship when you don't have at least 16 field players under contract that are available to play, but... I think they just might be at 16. I believe I did the the numbers yesterday. And I was like, oh, these players are healthy. And Victorio was on the man. So they're just at about 16. So they, I don't know if they're going to be able to. I imagine they are going to explore the possibility. But I don't know if they'll be able to call in any Fort Lauderdale CF players. This is the same issue that they ran into ahead of the game against... Atlanta United, perhaps? No, this against uh, Nashville SC, right? When they when Gregory was playing center back uh, and, and they had to make do with a patchwork back line. So as for what to expect from the Red Bulls, you said it, they're still gunning for a playoff spot themselves. They're a high-pressing team, a young and energetic team. Last time these two teams faced off, you could see the difference in energy levels. One team was much more physically gifted and could run all over the place because they were younger. I think they're. I think I did the numbers and the averages, and they were just over 22 years of age on average. Their starting lineup, and Inter Miami was around 27 years of age, and they were obviously not able to deal with the rigors of playing three games in a week, whereas the Red Bulls handled it with relative ease. I think you're going to see more of that from the Red Bulls, high pressing, making life difficult for Inter Miami. How does Inter Miami go about counter that, countering that? 
I think you got to go long, hit long balls, and compete better than you did in that game against the Red Bulls at home at Drive Pink Stadium. I think if Inter-Miami steps up in that regard, then they have a better chance to at least stay in the game longer and then maybe take it late. I think what helps them is that they will not have played three games in seven days like they did the last time around, so that should help them be a little bit more fresh and compete, although the moment is a different one because Inter-Miami is coming off of four losses, whereas last time they were in better form, so that's going against them. They'll have pressure to try to pick up points because they know the situation's dire for them. So different things at play here, but that's what I fully expect from the Red Bulls. What do you think Inter-Miami has to do to win this game or at least get a result? What's the key to the match for you, Primo? Score, yeah, score goals. I mean, you know, they, they showed on, on Sunday that, you know, they can they can hang with, with the better teams in, in the league. You know, um, you know, Portland didn't really rip them apart, did they? I mean, it was just, in the end, they just... They just got that that goal right right at the ends, but they just, you know, it's, it's a simple game, isn't it? You need to score goals. I mean, that's 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 the, that's the bottom line. That's something they've really struggled to do. When you look at the, you know, New, I know New England have been um, on fire, but they've scored fifty seven goals. It's almost double what what Miami have, you know, scored. And that's 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 the problem really. So, um, you know, I don't have any worries about them sort of hanging in and, and being competitive. It's just just that final thing. Can they? Can they score the goal? And if they listen, if they can get get themselves in front, then you can you'd be confident they can probably uh, hold on and and, and and nick a result. But um, they, they need to score. They absolutely need to score, which is why again I think that they should consider changing the formation. I don't know if they will, but I think they should consider it. Get maybe Lewis Morgan higher up the field, but we'll see what they do in that regard. Now, what other changes to the lineup do you think will happen? Actually, do you think that they'll play? With five at the back, or do you see Phil maybe switching it and going to going to four, or will he stick with what he knows given the absences and given what's the you know the state of the roster? Yeah, I think they'll probably stick with what they've what they've they've got. To be honest, I think he does like the the, the, the wing backs to sort of get forward, and it gives them a bit more solidity in 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 the middle. And then I guess you know if it if it isn't going to plan, they can sort of switch it up. But yeah, like you said, like we keep saying, they're they're kind of hamstrung in terms of the you know the options they've got got available. So if you were the coach, would you go four at the back or five at the back? Given the situation, we know the points, the standings, we know that there's players missing. Would you go four at the back or would you go five at the back? Yeah, I mean, I think playing four at the back, I guess you could say is more more attacking. You get more more maybe more people into the into the midfield areas. Um, yeah, I I I probably go. I, I I mean, how have they sort of done it in the last? Four or five weeks in in my absence, they've been sticking with that five man. Yeah, it's been it's been part. it's been the five man backline. It's they haven't they haven't reverted from that. So that's why I don't expect them the to. That was the same formation that that, that saw them well. No, right, the, right. That's that, that's why I don't think that they change. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that they change away from it. I don't. You know, I haven't seen anything to indicate that they'll move away from from the formation. I'm just asking. You know, given the situation, would you? Steven Primo Brenner, if you were head coach, if this was fantasy manager. 2022, would you go with that format backline? I, I think your answer is yes. No, I think if anything, you go with trying and tested and something that they've trained and used in matches over the past, you know, four or five months. Oh, probably, you're riding the fence now. You're riding the fence because you just told me you would go four, and now you're saying five. Well, I mean, yeah. I what mean, would I, you do? What would you? But what would you do? What would you do? Cause, I'd because try and you, set up a team to win the match. A <laughs> good answer. Look, I again, I would try to go four at the back. Just because I think you need more numbers forward. I just think you need to score goals to try to win games. Me personally, I think you need to go for it. Obviously, like you said, don't you don't I'm not saying go gung ho, guns blazing from the first minute on, but you need to go for it a little bit more. Your attack is the worst attack in the league. That needs to be addressed more so than the defense. If you give up goals, okay, then you live with that. You live with that. Because this formula of just keeping things tight at the back and then trying to pluck one at the other end in some way, shape, or form. It's worked at times, but it's not necessarily a sustainable formula for success, so I would personally push more numbers forward. But anyway, any other lineup changes that you think will happen? Do you think they stick with Robbie Robinson and Gonzalo Higuain as the front two, or do you think he goes, he by, by he, I mean Phil Neville, do you think Phil Neville goes back to a, a front three with a two-man midfield? What do you think in that regard? Do you think there's any other changes in the midfield and up top? I don't know. I guess it just all depends how they, you know, how they line up, doesn't it? I mean, would you think it would work better with just with with the with the sort of one one up front, or or would it be the, the two up front 
would work, you know, in terms of trying to unlock the Red Bulls? How, how do you think? I, I think having Gonzalo Higuain as the striker, Robbie Robinson on the left, and Pizarro on the right, I think that... I think that's the look that they should go with. I think that's what has worked for them in certain moments when they've done well. And I think that that... Well, it doesn't maybe necessarily fit Pizarro's best... Or it's not Pizarro's best spot and doesn't fit his qualities necessarily all that well. I think that just helps you get more out of the team in the attack. Because Robbie Robinson, again, to reiterate what we said in the first segment or the last segment, is that he's better on the wing... Iguain, I think you need him in more advanced positions. Yes, he'll drop back because that's just something he's done. I'm actually very curious, and I want to hear your thought on this, and I'm going to ask you now because Ali will forget otherwise. We heard at the beginning of the season, right? You, you were there when Phil Neville said, we want Gonzalo Iguain this season more in the box. We want him finishing things off in the 18-yard box in the penalty area. Now, we've seen this habit from Gonzalo Iguain this season to drop back and pick up the ball and get on the ball and he has said it's because he doesn't get enough service up top, which is true because if you look at the numbers, the strikers on this team rarely have a lot of touches. So understand that. But if you're Phil Neville, don't you just tell Gonzalo Higuain to stay disciplined and stay up top as opposed to dropping back? Don't you just say, look, we just want you there. Just stay there. Stay committed. What, like, Why do you think we haven't seen Gonzalo Higuain in the box more often this season? Because if... If I'm the head coach, I'm telling him, hey, look, you're, you're bread and butter. You get paid to score goals. You need to finish things off for the team, and that's what I want to see you do. Stay disciplined, even if the ball doesn't come to you, even if you get frustrated. Same way you ask a, a right wing back to be disciplined defensively or a center midfielder or a defensive midfielder to be disciplined defensively and not go running out of position. Don't, wouldn't, don't you tell Gonzalo Higuain, stay up top? Why do you think we're not, see, we're not seeing that? Why, why do you think Gonzalo Higuain continues to drop back is it ne- him just not following Neville's orders? Is it just Neville tactically wanting to something else from him? Because at the beginning of the season, it was it he won him as a number nine. Now he's playing as a faux ten. So what, what do you think? Well, he's look, he's, a, he's the team's best player, and I think what once as the game as games sort of wear on and they've been struggling for the most part, they have been struggling. You know, he's trying to do his bit for the team, and and he's he's the best player, so he's been trying to just get himself on the ball and trying to make make things happen. It's just. You know, as as matches sort of transpire and, and things happen, you know, ch- plans change, and that that's that's what managers have to think on the on the on the front foot. That's why the game management is is so is so crucial. And um, you know, he's he's just been I think just being if he had Xavi and and Ines, Iniesta feeding in balls or Ronaldinho, then it wouldn't be an issue, would it? But he hasn't. So I mean, he's got you know. Jay Chapman and Blaise Matuidi. It's, it's a different. It's a completely different kettle of fish. So, you know, he's having to drop back to try and do that work because you know no one else can really sort of get get in there. So it's just it's symptomatic of all the other problems that they've they've got going on right now. So I haven't said this, and it might come off as controversial, but I haven't said this, and I think look, this could be an issue. Again, not saying it is. I think it could be an issue just from my perspective on the outside. Phil Neville, we know, is in his first head coaching job at the club level. Gonzalo Higuain is a player of mucho peso, of, what is it, how do you translate that? A, a, a big name player, right? He holds a lot of weight because of his, his career and his trajectory. I don't know if Phil Neville has been able to manage that personality as well as you would hope. Because, again, just seeing Gonzalo Higuain, even, not even take, take these last two games out where he's dropped back because he's been tactically asked to do so. In other games when he's been the number nine and he's just kind of done his own thing and dropped back and, and not been the reference point up top, I think that that is something that should be addressed by the coach. And if it's not, if the player's just doing what he wants or what he prefers, then, I mean, obviously you have to manage that and, and figure something something out. Again, Gonzalo Higuain's bread and butter, his strongest qualities are finishing and putting the ball into the back of the net. And he's, by and large, not been seen, or I won't say by and large, he has often not been seen making those runs into the penalty area. You know, I asked Lewis Morgan over the weekend, and this is a side note, could be related, could not be related. I asked him why he thought the team was not scoring goals, why they were having so many problems scoring goals. And he said two things. Lewis Morgan said quality, and he said the commitment or the confidence to to be in the box and and 
expect balls to come in. Now, he later went on and said, look, I don't think it's quality because we have a lot of quality on this team. I think, and he reiterated again, that it's a confidence or commitment thing in terms of want or understanding that there will be balls played into the box and that some might get to you and some might not. That's what he more or less said in terms of what the issue is for the attack. And I agree with that because the very first minute of this game, I think it might have been Intermine's first attack, Lewis Morgan gets the ball down the right flank. He gets forward into a very advanced position in the final third, and he looks up for a cross, and neither Gonzalo Iguay nor Robbie Robinson are in the penalty area. And Lewis Morgan has to wait and pause and hesitate to try to buy some time so that they get there, and then he whips in the cross. But it's cleared out by then. So I think that is part of it. I think if, you know, going back to the main point that I was saying before, I think that if Phil Neville was was maybe a little bit more experienced as a manager, would know how to manage a, a big name player, a big personality like Gonzalo Higuain, I think maybe he could get more out of him, maybe get him to stay up top. But we haven't seen that enough this season. Steve, I think that they will go in terms of the formation and we're going again Wednesday off of Wednesday's news, off of Wednesday's information that we have right now. I think they, again, they stick with the five-man back line. I think they'll have a two-man midfield of Jay Chapman and Victor Ulloa, who was close to returning over the weekend. And then up top, I think you'll see Rolf Pizarro on the right, Robbie Robinson on the left, Gonzalo Higuain up top. Another possibility is going 5-3-2 again. Chapman, Ulloa, Pizarro in the midfield, and... Iguain and either Carranza or Robinson up top. Again, I don't think Robinson works up there, but you know, I, I imagine it's under consideration from Phil Neville and his staff. But I, I, you know, if they want to stick with that formation, I would say go with Carranza and give him a look there and see how he operates playing off of Gonzalo Iguain. He's got to do something. Absolutely. So, Steve, score prediction: How does Inter Miami do on Saturday at Red Bull Arena? Is it a fifth defeat in a row? Is it a draw? Is it a win that maybe suddenly gets the momentum starting to go and maybe giving some belief that maybe they can make it happen? What do you think happens on Saturday? It's very difficult, isn't it? You know, like I say, confidence is low. I, I, I fancy a draw maybe, one all, one all, maybe just to get a little bit of confidence. I, I think it will. I don't think they're out of it. I think, you know, it's going to, there are, there are games still, you know, it's 21 points to go or whatever. Um, if they can get a point just to build a bit of confidence and then they've got to go big in the last, you know, six games. But as we, you know, as we sit here, we know and, and they know that it's going to be a very, very big ask. Um, and then, you know, even when they do get into the playoffs, then what kind of form have they got, you know, moving forward? Is that the same last season, wasn't it, when they sneaked in and then, you know, that, that final game and then they got absolutely destroyed by Nashville in that in that first round of the playoffs. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm going to go one I think they're more competitive this time than they were last time against the Red Bulls, even with the absences. But I think that they lose 3-2. to two. I think they'll score two goals. I think they'll take more chances as the game goes on. But obviously, I think with the with that will come spaces in behind that the Red Bulls will exploit uh, on the counter and with their high press. And I think that you know they'll just they'll just give up too much defensively. Which again, if that's the case. You, I think you live with that as opposed to just sitting back and, and being maybe scared to go for it. So 3-2 to defeat for Inter Miami in this one. Steve, let's leave it there. Let's take another quick pause and we'll come back after that to do the Q&A session, our final thoughts, as well as quickly discuss the FIFA 22 ratings. Okay, Steve, so before we dive into the Q&A session, quickly just want to touch on the FIFA 22 ratings that came out in EA Sports' new video game or the new installment of the hit video game that is out now. It dropped last Friday. This is a quick rundown. I'm just going to give each player and their player rating on the initial rosters, not the stock, excuse, not the updated rosters that happen if you play online because those change on a weekly basis. So these are what the ratings are on the stock roster. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts afterwards of any rating that stands out to you, if there's anybody that's criminally underrated or overrated. 
And this is from Best Tours. Gonzalo Higuain is an 81, Blaise Matuidi 79, Rodolfo Pizarro 75, Lewis Morgan 72, Gregory 72, Kieran Gibbs 72, Leandro Gonzalez Pires, Nick Marsman, and Federico Higuain are all 71s. Nicolas Figal follows with a 70. Then you've got Kelvin Leardam 69, Jovan Jones 69, Ventura Alvarado 69, Ryan Shawcross, Victor Ulloa, both 67s, Julian Carranza at a 66, John McCarthy 64, Breck Shea 63. Christian McCoon, 63. Jay Chapman, 62. Robbie Robinson and Indiana Vasilev both get a 61. Sammy Gadiri, a 57, along with Edison Ascona. Then you have Dylan Castaneda, the goalkeeper, at 56. Drake Callender, the other goalkeeper, at 54. And your final player is Ian Frey at 53. Anything stand out to you at all there? Why isn't Ian Frey higher? At least a 90. <laughs> Look, on, on a more serious note but obviously we're talking about a video game so i'm not being super serious but they they criminally criminally underrated robbie robinson he got a 61 he's almost in the 50s that's very low look and i'm not the biggest robbie robinson guy in terms of what i've seen from him on the field but he's better than a 61 they did him dirty they did him dirty i I believe he plays too so i'd be curious to ask him how he feels about that rating because yeah that's that's just that's just disrespectful. 61 the players, is bad. The players, the players know these kind of things, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this was this was obviously a huge talking point early on with Madden back in the days. Like, you know, players would be aware of what ratings they got and, and it would be a talking point. Then it became a thing with the NBA, with NBA 2K. Players would, you know, be asked about their ratings and share if they thought they were they were too low. Some some people or some players would share their gripes with, the, with their ratings and, and how how poorly they were uh, scored. And I'm sure it happens as well as with MLS. Maybe not as uh, as big of a talking point, but I imagine it. I imagine these players, when they open, when they play the game, because a lot of them play the game, especially the younger ones, when they open the game and they, they go check out the teams, I imagine they look at their player rating to see what they're scored. Yeah, there was a good video actually the other day. I think it was at Man City where um, I think Kevin De Bruyne and, and Phil Foden were winding up Carl Walker about his lack of pace on the game, and they actually brought in the, the stats <laughs> thing and put it onto his lock into his locker room onto his locker in the changing room. And uh, yeah, he wasn't pleased with his lack of pace, but they were winding him up, and he got very very upset about it. So there you go, people do care. Yeah, even they, if they, they no, they do, man. So that's why, and that's why I bring it up because I'm someone that's cared and it's always been a big soccer gamer. Um, so, you yeah. know, it's, it's definitely a talking point in the, in the f- football community because it's something that a lot of people do, be it just fans, be it media, be it players themselves. It, it, it's become actually a bit of a tool as well because the games are so deep now with so many leagues and so many teams that a lot of people learn about a lot of players and about a lot of teams by playing these video games. So the last thing I'll say on, on the ratings is that I think Gonzalo Higuain and Blaise Matuidi are both overrated at 81 and 79 each. I think that's just going off of their pedigree and who the players that they used to be because based off of form right now, neither one is, to my opinion, is is worthy of, of those marks. Anyway, we'll move on to the Q&A session although i'm you know welcome listeners to let us know their thoughts on the player ratings you can see them and see a full rundown on miami total football's instagram channel or or instagram page excuse me as well if you want to run through them on a more visual aspect so q a session let's start because we have a few questions to get to first one comes from gay p why haven't the fort lauderdale players played some minutes should we use them more in the last five games of the season if we have no chance of qualifying I think we should bring them up and have them play so they can get a chance to see the level that they'll experience next year. I think that most of the players that have a first-team roster contract should play the last game. Steve, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, it'd be interesting to see what happens in the in the close seasons. I know they, he wants Harvey Neville uh, to, to make the step up. Mitch Curry, I saw your, your piece where you, you, you mentioned about six, six different players, isn't it? So that's... They've got options. That's what they keep talking about, isn't it? Is, is bringing these bringing these players through for, uh, you know, for, for no no cost really. So uh, that's that's the whole point of having these feeder teams, isn't it? Is to is to let you feed in to, to what they've already got going on in MLS. So um, yeah, I mean, the, the the feeder team's not doing its job. I don't think if if it's not providing, you know, the the senior team with with players to use moving forward. 
I'm surprised you read that piece because that piece came out not long before we started recording this podcast here on Wednesday afternoon. So I'm surprised. I'm surprised by that, but uh, impressed, impressed. (laughs) Um, Look, why haven't they played gay P? Look, I would say they haven't played much because Inter Miami's been in the thick of things and trying to make this playoff push and get above the red line and stay above the red line. And they've gone with more experienced players or players that they think are more ready to compete at an MLS level, whereas these younger players or these less experienced players, they're not quite there yet. That's why they're with Fort Lauderdale CF in the first place, to get more minutes, to get some playing time, to continue to develop, to be ready for MLS. So I think that's why you haven't seen it. Now, if Inter-Miami in the next, I don't know, two or three games is mathematically eliminated, then yes, I think it's time you play some of the of the younger players on the roster, the Edison Ascona, you could bring up George Acosta because he's on loan to Fort Lauderdale CF for the season. So, you know, I think you, you start playing some of the younger guys and giving them minutes at an MLS level because at that point, there's, I mean, what's the, what's the, what's the incentive of continuing to play the likes of, you know, Blaise Matuidi or Gonzalo Higuain in games that, that are, are don't mean anything anymore for your for your season because you're eliminated from the playoffs. So, you know, obviously you still want to try to win and you still want to appeal to the fans that will be watching, but you also have to start planning for the future if your season is done and dusted. So I imagine we will see that if the time comes that Inter Miami is eliminated with games to go. Next question comes from Lucho Lalo, 1896. Franco, long time, haven't posted a question. Where are the darn, I won't say the curse word, the darn pink nets? LOL. Let's save them for 2024 when we get messy. LOL. Anyways, what do we need to do to make the playoffs? How many games do we need out of the ones we have left to qualify? I just want one playoff game for us. So, Lucho Lalo, we did touch on this in an earlier segment. I'm sure if you were listening, you heard us. But we'll just quickly reiterate. Phil Neville said they probably need to win five or six of the remaining seven. I think at least five. At least five victories. It's a pretty tough ask. A pretty tall order. I don't think Inter Miami gets it done this year. I don't think they'll be returning to the playoffs yeah it's gonna i mean it would be a hell of a i, I can't remember the scenario for for last i know obviously they needed to win that last game but it, it, it didn't seem as dire as it was uh this time around is that right I can't, yeah I can't well the mar- the margin was also much shorter smaller. there was more room for error last year because of covid and how that yeah. impacted the season 10 teams made the playoffs not seven like is the case now because if it was 10 teams that made the playoffs Inter Miami would only be two points away, right? So last year they made it because of the the conditions they were in. If it was a normal season, they probably wouldn't have gotten there either, but they did because of how the the league changed the the playoff structure. Right now it's the top seven teams, Inter Miami's 11th. So yeah, that's why it looks so much dire because there's less playoff spots now in the East. It's not good. (laughs) All right, next question comes from Eric Yanis. Iguain is one of the highest paid players in MLS and under contract through 2022. And to reflect on some of your recent analysis, he's not getting the job done. With next year's money trouble, any chance of a transfer, it would be nice to watch a striker who attacks the goal. It so, would. Yeah, I mean... But there, you know, there's they, no chance that they can transfer him. I mean, could they part ways with him? Could they say we're buying you out and let him go? Sure. But in terms of a transfer, no one's coming in to pay for a 33 year old Gonzalo Higuain that has, as of right now, 10 goals on the season. I mean, no one's, uh, you know, I spoke to someone at the club, no, no one is, no one's coming for Bizarro. They haven't had any interest in, in him. Um, you know, Matuidi, they're just not, they're not sellable assets, are they? I mean, wh- where else is, is Gonzalo Higuain going to go? Back back to Argentina, maybe? I mean, he, for... could, he could go maybe go back home to Argentina, but yeah, no I mean... one's coming to buy him. Like, if he's a free no. agent and they don't have to spend anything to get him besides his contract, sure. But no one's coming to Inter Miami saying, we're going to pay you $3 million for Gonzalo Higuain. It's just, it's just not going to no. happen. And then look, the fact that no one's come in for these players, as you've just mentioned or reported, even with Pizarro being maybe one that's somewhat sellable because of his age, that just goes to show how important it is for these players to perform on a consistent basis because if they don't and if the if the team dips as well as they do then it really hurts their stock and it really does not help their sell on value and how they are as an asset for you as a club so I don't expect Gonzalo Iguain to 
to be transferred anywhere. Could they want to buy out his contract? Possibly, but they also have to try to move, remove Rolfo Pizarro and, and Blaise Matuidi, I imagine. And you can't buy out three contracts per season. You can only buy out one. They're all designated players, so they're all on guaranteed deals. So I think they're going to have to be smart about who they decide to to part ways from or if they do use that buyout option, who they use it on. Because again, you can only get one. But we'll see how they manage this offseason with regards to that. Last question comes from Twitter. Almost every single player has played worse this season compared to their previous season. Whose fault is that on? I feel like tactically we went all in on Iguain and that came at the expense of the rest of the players. I prefer team wins over one player getting his goals. Primo, you can start there. No, I mean, yeah, nothing is, it hasn't, it, they've, in fits and spurts, they had that little, you know, that, the bad run to start, then they had the good run, now they've gone on another sort of bad run. They've, and I think players have performed at various parts of the season. It's just, it's just been too in, too inconsistent, isn't it? And I just don't think they have the strength and depth that um, if something, for example, if Iguain's not not firing, who's the like for like guy that comes in and, and and produces the goods? Bizarro or Carranza or any of these guys? They just they just haven't they haven't done it on a regular basis, and that's been the problem since the start of since the the Diego Alonso days. It's the same. The same issues, isn't it? The same issues keep cropping up, and I think that's why they're worried that um, you know they're going to have to have they want to have this big summer overhaul, but winter, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, or winter. Sorry, yeah, uh, and the, the sanctions that have been imposed on the club are going to kill them. So uh, you know, it's 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 a nightmare. But so that's that's on Chris Henderson. He has to. That's his job. He has to to work it out. Can he get the team that he wants with this, those sanctions in place? I think it's. It's very, very difficult. So, I think what Twitter is trying to get at here, just based on how the question is framed, is whether it's Phil Neville's fault or not. Like, what role Phil Neville has in the fact that so many players have played worse this season and the fact that, from his perception, Twitter's perception, that they they went all in on Higuain and that came at the expense of other players. I don't know if I fully agree with that second part, Look, I think that they try to play to their best players' strengths. And again, maybe Phil Neville wasn't stern enough or, or didn't manage him in the best way over the course of this season. Maybe he needed to be a little bit more strict with him, a little bit more like, hey, you need to stay up top and we're going to do this around you and just stick with it and, you know, just just keep believing. So I, I said that before, I, I'll reiterate it now, but... I think that we've seen them go with this different formation by and large because they want to plug the holes in the back. This is a very, very limited team with a lot of deficiencies, a lot of weaknesses. I don't think that's a secret for anybody. I think the reason they've actually had a good run of form is because they realized plugging the holes at the back helped them stay more competitive in games and allowed them to find ways to pull out results. But I agree that I think Neville, there, he hasn't done a good enough job overall this year with individual players like Lewis Morgan. Look how his numbers have regressed. Obviously, he's playing as a right wing back. That's not necessarily tapping into his best best strengths. Statistically speaking, you can see that. He only has one goal this year, if I'm not mistaken. So there's also been no goals off of corner kicks and only one off of a set piece all year. That's with Inter Miami having a designated set piece specialist on the technical staff. So... I think that Phil Neville does shoulder a good bit of responsibility. He is in his first year in charge of a club team. I think he's gone through growing pains, just like the players have had. So I think it's a combination of all those factors. I will say that, you know, just in regards with him, I'm going to do a story which is going to be out I think, on Thursday, maybe on Friday in the UK. You know, Phil Neville's definitely up for... Coming back next season, he loves the job. Um, he, he knows he's been hamstrung, but um, yeah, he 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 will be there. He will be there next season for sure. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere, despite the potential or the likelihood of of the team missing the playoffs. Well, that does it for the Q and A session. Primo, you're back. We've welcomed you back. We're happy to have you back. Hit us with your final thoughts, and I'll give mine, and we'll wrap up the show after that. Well, I'm back. 
but nothing has really changed um, <laughs> as, as much as I sort of I have been keeping abreast of it from afar. I have been busy with other stuff. I, I have obviously been keeping in touch, listening to the pod, all that kind of stuff. Um, same old problems, same same difficulties with rosters and and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think the close season will, will be interesting. I think it's going to be a shame they're going to miss out on the playoffs. I keep. I, I think I've been saying a lot. You know, a lot to people. It's be a failure, a total failure that they've missed. And I guess it is. It is a failure. It's not. It's not the end of the world. It's not good enough. But they. I think they. They know that. And um, you know, I think next season is going to be huge on for a lot of different people. Um, everyone from the front office to the management to the players. I think. Um, yeah, they. They've. Yeah, they've had to, to fight a lot of fires, but you always you always have to. So we just have to see just have to see see what happens. But it's uh, it's going to be a nervy end of the season. But I just I can't see them doing it to be honest. So my final thought is on what you brought up a little bit earlier on in the pod, and that's the piece I just put out on the six players on Fort Lauderdale CF that might be able to make the jump to the MLS team this upcoming off season. Phil Neville said last week that. He wants to have six of his players in the in the first team on the MLS roster in 2022. So, look, I've talked to some people about that in the aftermath. I have come up with a list of six candidates. I'm not saying these are the defined six. These are the definite six that are going to be on the MLS roster. But from my conversations, these are six of the players that are maybe more likely to make the jump this winter and where they project, what positions, what their statistics for the season are, as well as just a little bit more of, of, a, of a description and analysis on who they are as players and what, where their strengths and weaknesses are as of today and, and what the outlook is going forward. So give that a read if you are interested in that. I know Steven Primo Brenner has read it, which again, thank you for that. I will also quickly say as a final thought, come on EA Sports, take some points away from Gonzalo Higuain and Blaise Matuidi and give those to Robbie Robinson. But that does it for this week's pod. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Thank you again to Steve El Primo Brenner for rejoining us. He has been sorely missed. A lot of people were asking about you, Steve, so good to have you back. We'll be back again next week to recap and review and analyze the game against the New York Red Bulls, an important game for Inter Miami. I will also preview the next game that is to come. I am Franco Penezo. This is Miami Total Football Radio.